0: Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Extendicare Inc. second quarter 2021 analyst conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in a listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Jillian Fountain, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Extended Care's second quarter 2021 results conference call. With me today are Extended Care's President and CEO, Michael Greer, and Senior Vice President and CFO, David Bacon. Our Q2 results were disseminated yesterday and are available on our website. The audio webcast of today's call is also available on our website, along with an accompanying slide presentation, which viewers may advance themselves. A replay of the call will be available later this afternoon until August 20th. The replay numbers and passcodes have been provided in our press release, and an archived recording of this call will also be available on our website. Before we get started, please be reminded that today's call may include forward-looking statements. Such statements involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied today. We have identified such factors in our public filings with the securities regulators and suggest that you refer to those filings. With that, I'll turn the call over to Michael.
2: Thank you, Jillian, and good morning, everyone. Before we get to our second quarter results, I will provide an update on our activities related to the pandemic. Thanks to the outstanding commitment of our team to protect themselves and those we care for, our ongoing vaccination campaign has been very successful. High rates of resident and staff vaccination have allowed us to welcome families and visitors back into our homes and none of our long-term care homes or retirement communities are currently in outbreak. As of August 5th, more than 90% of our long-term care and retirement residents were fully vaccinated. 86% of our long-term care staff, 80% of our retirement staff, and 86% of our paramed staff have received at least one dose. As a result of our extensive education and awareness campaign, Along with the provision of paid time off and expenses to get to a vaccination clinic, more of our staff are stepping up to be vaccinated each week. To complement our vaccination program, we are maintaining elevated staffing in all of our homes to address the continued need for screening, testing, and infection control protocols. Surveillance testing continues to play an important role in keeping our homes and communities safe now with a particular focus on those who are not yet fully vaccinated in our ongoing efforts to address the significant staffing challenges facing the industry we've made significant progress expanding college partnerships and clinical preceptorships to ensure a strong pipeline of new psws in the first half of 2021 we hired more than 300 new caregivers in paramed from the in-house HSW training programs we launched last year. We are also participating in various new federal and provincial programs aimed at expanding the seniors' care workforce in the long-term care sector. Currently, we have more than 250 students enrolled in extended care internships, and we plan to offer employment to them upon graduation. While we are encouraged by the progress this quarter on vaccinations and prevention of outbreaks in our homes, we remain vigilant in our ongoing efforts to protect our residents, clients and staff from COVID-19. The experience of other countries demonstrates that the risk of a fourth wave in Canada, driven by the Delta variant, is very real. We will continue our campaign to drive vaccination rates higher and we will test unvaccinated staff and visitors in an effort to prevent the virus from re-entering our homes. With that, let's turn to the second quarter highlights starting on slide four. As the severity of the pandemic receded, the magnitude of its impact on our operations has moderated significantly across the company. With the dramatic decrease in COVID-19 outbreaks in Q2 2021, our pandemic-related spending decreased to 42.8 million, down from 58.1 million in Q1. However, our costs in the most recent quarter exceeded COVID-related government funding by $9.5 million. We did not receive any funding related to prior period COVID-19 costs in the quarter. We do anticipate that we will receive further funding for net COVID costs from the first half in future quarters. Restrictions eased in the latter half of Q2, and as a result, occupancy levels at our long-term care homes and retirement communities improved. This positive dynamic continued into the summer. We are very pleased with the continuing recovery of our home health care operations, with our average daily volumes increasing 3.7 percent from Q1 exiting the quarter in line with pre-pandemic levels with the increase in volumes and our continued focus on back office efficiency our home health care noi margins widened another 60 basis points this quarter as you can see on slide five we continue to advance our long-term care redevelopment program to replace aging infrastructure with new modern homes designed to provide improved functionality, safety, and comfort for our residents. During the second quarter, we commenced construction of a new long-term care home located in Kingston, with the completion targeted for the first quarter of 2023. This new 192-bed home will replace and expand an existing 150-bed Class C home. The new Kingston project, together with our Sudbury project that commenced in Q4 of last year, will replace 384 Class C beds with 448 new beds at an estimated investment of $120 million. In May 2021, we successfully closed $95.9 million in construction financing to support these first two projects. This bolstered our strong liquidity position and, more importantly, demonstrates support for the sector and the new Ontario Capital Funding Program. We continue to advance a further 20 applications with the Ministry of Long-Term Care to replace the remainder of our C-Class homes in Ontario. Not all of these projects are feasible under the current Capital Funding Program. We continue to work with our industry partners and the government to address the shortcomings in the current program, which relate primarily to small projects and high costs in urban areas. In addition to Sudbury and Kingston, which are already underway, we have seven projects in advanced stages of approvals with the Ontario Ministry, on which we hope to begin construction before the end of 2023. Moving to slide six and our long-term care operations, the reduction in outbreaks and easing of pandemic-related restrictions resulted in a drop in COVID-19 related costs and an increase in admissions during the second quarter. COVID-19 related costs were 32.7 million in Q2, down 32% from Q1. Though these costs continue to exceed related funding, As I mentioned before, we anticipate receiving additional government funds to cover the shortfall in future quarters. Occupancy levels at our long-term care homes increased to 85.4% in Q2, up 250 basis points from Q1 this year. Lengthy wait lists for long-term care in many of the communities where we operate, we expect average occupancy levels to continue to increase as long as rates of COVID-19 in the community remain low. We will not return to full occupancy in homes with ward style three or four bedrooms. We have limited admissions to a maximum of two residents per room in all of our homes. We expect funding in Ontario to continue at the current level for these ward style rooms beyond August 2021 when the current basic occupancy protection funding expires. However, no no formal announcement has been made to that effect as yet. While we are seeing steady occupancy improvements, it is likely that not all of our Ontario long-term care homes will return to levels above 97% before the end of August. As a result, we may experience some reduction in funding for those few homes that do not achieve the required occupancy threshold. We continue our recruiting efforts to add frontline caregivers to our long-term care homes to support ongoing COVID prevention measures and the recovery of our long-term care occupancy levels. Increased staffing also positions us well to respond to the Ontario government's plan to provide funding for four hours of care per resident day. The sector is awaiting further details about the new staffing plan, which we anticipate will come later this year. Turning to slide seven, our paramed volumes have returned to pre-pandemic levels, up 24% from the worst hit pandemic quarter in Q2 of 2020. Despite this recovery, we are still not keeping up with the demand due to ongoing workforce capacity constraints, particularly in nursing. Our Q2 average daily volumes were 25,264, up 3.7% from the prior quarter. Our NOI margins adjusted for pandemic-related items continued to improve this quarter, up 60 basis points to 7.9% when compared to Q1 of this year. The investments made in our cloud-based systems and our continued focus on improving back office efficiency position us to support future volume growth without increasing overhead costs, enabling further margin improvement as volumes increase. Our pace of volume growth will continue to be moderated by the staffing challenges facing the industry. As I mentioned earlier, we are gratified by the progress of our PSW college partnerships and in-house HSW training programs, and we continue to focus on encouraging employees who have been on pandemic-related leave to return to work. I now turn to David Bacon, our Chief Financial Officer, to provide insight into our consolidated and segmented financial results for the second quarter.
3: Thanks, Michael. I'll start by providing an overview of our consolidated results for the quarter, followed by some financial highlights of our individual business segments and our liquidity position. As Michael mentioned, in Q2 we began to see a recovery in our LTC occupancy and a return to pre-pandemic average daily volumes and margin improvements in our home healthcare segment. Stabilized average occupancy in our retirement segment continued above 90% in Q2 with an uptick in our lease-up occupancy. And our other operations segment experienced 11.1% growth in third-party residents served by our SGP group purchasing operations in the second quarter compared to the prior year. Turning now to slide 9 in our consolidated results, as in prior quarters, we have included a detailed schedule of the impact of COVID-19 on our revenues, operating expenses, NOI and EBITDA in slide 18. In Q2, our net COVID-related costs this quarter resulted in a net reduction in adjusted EBITDA of $9.5 million. We continue to receive funding support under various provincial programs, however, Until the effects of the pandemic are fully behind us, we can expect continued volatility in our results as the quantum and timing of the funding is not always known in the period the costs are incurred. Our consolidated revenue in the second quarter increased by 9% or 25.5 million from Q2 2020 to 307.4 million. This increase was driven primarily by a 24% increase in home healthcare volumes and increased COVID-related funding of $6.1 million year-over-year. Consolidated NOI was up $11.3 million to $31.3 million and represented 10.2% of revenue as compared to 7.1% in Q2 2020. This increase includes $7.7 million in Canadian emergency wage subsidy payments received by Paramed. Excluding the paramed wage subsidy, consolidated NOI increased by $3.6 million to $23.6 million and represents an NOI margin of 7.7%, up from 7.1% in Q2 2020. The increase is due primarily to improved volumes and back office efficiencies in home health care and a reduction in net COVID costs partly offset by increased costs of resident care and lower preferred accommodation revenue in our long-term care operations. Reported consolidated adjusted EBITDA increased $9.7 million from Q2 2020 to $17.8 million due to the impact of the pyramid wage subsidy and the underlying improvement in NOI, partially offset by increased administrative costs due to higher wages and staffing, IT costs and professional fees. Reported AFFO improved by $5.1 million from Q2 2020 to $8.1 million due to the improvement in adjusted EBITDA, higher share-based compensation partially offset by higher current income taxes related to the pyramid wage subsidy, and increased maintenance capital expenditures. Our quarterly results continue to experience volatility with the impact of COVID expenses and related funding. The estimated basic AFFO per share impact this quarter of our net COVID costs after tax was $7 million, or $0.08 of loss per share, while the impact of the pyramid wage subsidy on our AFFO this quarter was $5.7 million after tax, or $0.06 per share. Turning now to our individual business segments, our long-term care operations in the second quarter saw revenue grow by 8.7 million or 4.9% to 187.2 million, largely driven by increased COVID funding of 7.9 million, partially offset by the timing of flow-through funding and lower preferred accommodation revenue that is not covered by basic accommodation funding protection. In Q2, our long-term care NOI declined by 1.3 million, or 12% from the same period last year, to 9.8 million, largely due to increased costs of resident care and lower preferred accommodation revenue, partially offset by a reduction in unfunded COVID costs of 1.4 million on a year-over-year basis. Excluding the net COVID costs, our LTC NOI margin was 10.5% this quarter. Overall occupancy in the quarter was down to 85.4% in Q2 2021 from 93.5% in Q2 2020. However, average occupancy improved 250 basis points from Q1 2021, as we have seen the successful impact of the vaccines drive significant reductions in COVID-19 outbreaks and the beginning of easing of restrictions on long-term care homes. Our LTC revenue has largely been protected with basic occupancy protection funding from the Ontario government and similar support in Alberta. As Michael mentioned earlier, while we are seeing a recovery in occupancy in our LTC segment, we may experience a reduction in funding for some of our Ontario LTC homes where the pace of our occupancy recovery may lag the elimination of the basic occupancy support as of the end of August. Turning next to our home healthcare segment, revenue grew 15.6 million or 18.3% in Q2, driven by a 24% increase in average daily volume year over year, partially offset by a decline in COVID-related funding of 1.8 million. NOI in Q2 increased by 12.6 million to 14 million, representing 13.9% of revenue, reflecting the wage subsidy of 7.7 million. Growth in volumes and back-office efficiencies, in part offset by an increase in net COVID costs. Excluding the impact of the wage subsidy and net COVID costs, the NOI margin in Q2 was 7.9%, up sequentially from 7.3% in Q1 of 2021. Given the recovery in our pyramid volumes, we do not anticipate qualifying for further wage subsidy beyond this quarter. Turning now to our retirement operations, in Q2, revenue, NOI, and NOI margin were up slightly. NOI increased 5.2% to $3.7 million as a result of improved occupancy levels of our lease-up communities, higher ancillary services and rental rates, and lower year-over-year estimated net COVID-19 costs, partially offset by increased labor and promotional costs. Throughout the pandemic, our stabilized average occupancy has remained above 90% and averaged 90.2% in Q2, down 130 basis points from Q2 2020. The average overall occupancy of our portfolio was in line with Q2 2020 and increased sequentially by 30 basis points to 84.4% from Q1 of this year, driven by improvements in our lease-up communities offset by a modest decline in our stabilized communities. Our lease-up communities ended the quarter at 73% average occupancy, up 350 basis points from March 31st, 21. The resumption of in-person tours and easing of restrictions in the latter half of the second quarter has increased the level of activity in our retirement segment, and we anticipate improvements in our occupancy in the second half of 2021 if progress on vaccinations in the broader community continues. Turning to our final business segment, our assist contract services and SGP Group Purchasing Services delivered revenue growth of just under 10%, largely driven by customer growth in SGP. Investments this quarter in the business to support our growth initiatives as well as a gradual resumption of pre-COVID activities contributed to higher business development expenses this quarter, resulting in the year-over-year year decline in NOI, and NOI margins more in line with pre-pandemic levels. The underlying demand for our services remains strong, and SGP now supports over 83,500 third-party residents, an increase of 11.1 percent from Q2 2020 and up 3 percent from Q1 2021. Finally, turning to the last slide and our financial position, at the end of Q2, our consolidated cash on hand was $133 million, with $73 million in undrawn credit facilities and no scheduled debt maturities until the first quarter of 2022. As Michael mentioned earlier, we closed $95.9 million in construction financing for our Sudbury and Kingston long-term care redevelopment projects that are underway, further strengthening our liquidity position. With that, I'll pass the call back to Michael for his closing remarks.
2: Thank you, David. We are extremely encouraged by our progress this quarter, made possible by our successful staff and resident vaccination program and the outstanding efforts and dedication of our team. Our primary focus continues to be on protecting our residents, clients, and team members. Enhanced staffing levels, regular testing, and ongoing prevention measures will remain in place until the pandemic is firmly behind us. Extended care has been delivering services across the seniors care continuum for more than 50 years. We are committed to investing in our future with the construction of new homes, deployment of new technology, and training and recruiting of our people. Taken together, these will underpin our growth and enhance our capabilities to support residents, clients, and their families. Thank you for your continued interest and support. With that, we'd be happy to take any questions you may have. Operator?
0: Thank you. We'll now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You'll hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. Our first question is from Jonathan Kelcher with TV Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
5: Thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, first question, the you, just on the, um, the other Canadian operations, and I think you, you touched on a, a little bit, David, in, in your, your commentary. So the the margins were down versus Q1, and I guess versus last year. Did you say business development or increased business development?
3: Yeah, there's the uh, in the current quarter, we've we've seen a bit of a return uh, of activity. Uh, So our our business development sales folks are back on the road doing some travel. We've hired um, some additional uh, staff, uh, business development staff in, in, um, in eastern Canada uh, uh, to focus on, on growth there where those are smaller markets for us. So we're seeing uh, an increase with the cost there. I mean, the bed, the bed growth will come, but there is, there is a, an increase there. I do think, you know, we have said in the past, you know, our our overall margins in that segment are sort of mid-50s. So I think we did enjoy a bit of a higher uh, margin, uh, you know, prior to this quarter as we had uh, increased management fees in our assist side of the business because of COVID funding flowing through our managed contract businesses, uh, as well as a lower level of activity uh, just in terms of, of the sales business development side. So I think the combination of of the, uh, the the COVID funding, um, maybe slowing down uh, in our within our customers, uh, as well as the increased business activity. So I think I think the margin's a bit a bit lumpy in the last couple of quarters, but I do think that longer term mid fifties number that we've spoken about in the past is is still a good number.
5: Okay, that that is helpful. Um, and just on the, the funding recoveries for for long-term care um, is there any indication from the government of, of how much you guys will will eventually get back from prior periods
3: um, what I can say there is, is if you recall in q1 um, in Ontario our, our shortfall for Ontario was about 18 million which we did receive in q1 um so uh, they've given us no indication at the moment that they're going to change that approach um, so our, our net COVID costs uh, in ontario in q1 uh were about 18.4 million so assuming that they continue what they did um sort of catching us up for the ex- for the net costs in 2020 we did, that's kind of the level we'd be expecting for for the first quarter that that closes off their fiscal year uh, We're, you know, starting in Q2, we're into a new fiscal year with the government. Um, so uh, still, re- you know, again, no indication that they're going to change the approach, but we don't have that formally communicated yet in terms of exactly how the, the new funding year money is going to come as it relates to so, sort of catching up on that COVID cost.
5: Okay. And, and how quickly how quickly does it come from, well, I guess as soon as they, they announce that you guys can book it as uh revenue in that quarter right so anywhere up to September 30th you'd be able to
3: book for Q3 yeah I think I'd like to think it's not going to lag more than two quarters Um, so we're hopeful that it's Q3 Um, I think by the time you know we we had the true up and and for for last year it came uh, it came uh, uh, sort of early spring um, in uh, for us about three four months after after year end so we're hoping that it's it's uh, q3 we'll have clarity by the end of q3 on
5: that okay and then you're um current like currently with no outbreaks um how much extra are you are you spending on say a monthly basis or a quarterly basis assuming assuming no outbreaks just your elevated staffing levels
3: yeah i mean it's i don't i i, I Hesitate to say what a normal run rate is because we've, you know, every month has been different since the pandemic, but I think, you know, we, we were in where most of our spending is long-term care. We were nine and a half million in Q2 unfunded. Um, we did see a 15 million drop in our gross costs. Um, um, so, I, you know, I do think that we're, we're um, approaching something uh, that's going to be uh, in the, you know, 20, you know 20 million ish a range but again I really hesitate to, to 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 talk about what we think it's going to be because anything could change in a moment's notice right so so we've seen a dramatic drop in the quarter of 15 million but as Michael mentioned in his comments too, I mean, we're still you know still need to be cautious here right um, and keep our staffing levels up I mean the funding we do think the gap should be narrowing between what we are being funded and, and our costs for the back half of the year once and and then there's the catch-up element that we just spoke about so i'm not so much sure what the costs are going to be but i think i think the gap between funding and cost should 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 regulate itself and be be quite smaller much more smaller than it has been unless of course
5: there's a you know a, a, an uptick in the fourth wave okay thanks i'll uh i'll turn it back
0: The next question is from Pani Burr with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, thanks and uh, good afternoon. Uh, just w- with respect to your, your comments on maybe getting back to the 97% occupancy for, for long-term care, uh, I know specifically on a few homes, you know, is that really just a timing issue or maybe you get there in Q4 instead of Q3 or, or is there something else that might impede the recovery?
2: palmi it's it's it really is a timing issue it's a question of whether the occupancy will recover by the deadline or take a little bit longer but we don't have much doubt about the demand in long-term care across the province uh, that it will ultimately fill up all the available beds just a matter of how long it'll take us to get there so we have you know, we have a handful of, of homes where, just looking at the trend line, uh, we don't think we'll get there by the end of, of August, but we'll certainly get there in the subsequent months. So it's it's you know relatively short period of time that that uh, that we would be exposed to an occupancy-based clawback.
6: So it's just uh, uh, nothing specific. Uh, just. No, no real issues with uh, those uh, those properties um just to maybe switching gears to, to paramet um you know nice to see the uh, i guess the continued recovery in volumes there can you just comment on how volumes have trended uh post the quarter and, and any thoughts on you know what point you think you know you may be able to secure sufficient staffing uh, to meet the demand
2: well closing the demand gap um is 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 a a dynamic situation because we're seeing the the demand itself steadily increasing over time so even as we grow our capacity we're seeing growth in the in the referrals that we're receiving our referral rates today are higher than they were pre-pandemic so we're you know we're 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 chasing the 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 demand curve we are as you know ramping up our training programs to uh, in an effort to uh, to to meet demand uh, and there's a big big unknown uh, of the people that are still on leave uh that, that went on leave at the beginning of the pandemic we still have uh you know upwards of about 800 people that are on leave within paramed so very difficult to predict when they might come back, uh, and uh, uh, in what numbers they they might come back. Some of them may not come back. So uh, so there's 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 still some some pandemic-related dynamics there that that are are hard to predict. On the nursing side, uh, which is you know a smaller component of our of our home care, uh, we are. You know, we are seeing significant uh, competition for uh, uh, for nurses in the in the community because we're seeing expansions in hospitals, expansions in staffing for long-term care, and then of course the demand in home care. So, registered staff, uh, uh, you know, in the in the nursing profession, there are uh, are in a high high demand situation. And i think that's been exacerbated by uh some of the uh, limits on immigration uh that that have resulted from the pandemic as well because we generally in this country don't graduate enough nurses to meet demand we we depend on 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 immigration to fill some of that so of course we're now we're now receiving some uh you know some some uh impact of the pandemic in terms of the, the the lack of immigration that's occurred over the last period of time so uh all that said pommy it's pretty hard to predict uh we're really we're really monitoring it month by month and ratcheting up our efforts uh on recruiting and, and training in particular
6: got it uh that's, that's good color maybe, maybe just thinking about it uh, another way um this might be harder to answer but do you have a sense of how much of an increase in staffing percentage-wise or even just absolute numbers that you would need to satisfy even just the current volumes that you're receiving Like, is it uh, hundreds, uh, like a thousand I, I don't know what the number is but just, i don't know if you have any color on that
2: yeah it's it's um it's it's a bit difficult just because of the dynamic nature of it. Um, uh, and if we were accepting more referrals, we would probably get more referrals. Uh so it's 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 not something that we have uh you know, a really strong uh you know, really strong grasp of it. But that all that said, I would say somewhere in the 750 to 1,000 uh, staff we could probably uh, put to work uh, overnight if uh, if we were able to to hire them.
6: Thanks very much, uh, Michael. That's uh, very helpful. Thanks.
0: The next question is from Tao Woolley with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
7: Hi. Good afternoon. Hi, Tao. Um, just sticking with the uh, pyramid and the labor, the labor question uh, for a second, how, like how do you measure productivity, labor productivity? Like what's the, sort of the preferred metric you look at?
2: Well, first of all, it, it's important to understand the model uh, because the, 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 the model is, a, is really a piecework model. So uh, our staff are paid uh, by the number of visits that they do. Um, so we do measure uh the number of hours that each person uh does on a you know does on a weekly basis that's that 's really important to our staff from an income perspective uh but it's um uh it 's not you know it 's not a uh, uh you know from a front line perspective our our contribution margins are quite stable because of that uh, that that dynamic in terms of the way of our, our people are paid.
7: And I guess then on that model, it might it, like it kind of makes it hard to like. I guess like what I'm trying to understand is like it sounds like basically to scale up this business, like it's it's a more bodies question. It's not a question of like improving the productivity per per labor unit. Well, it,
2: it, actually. Um uh with with our scheduling system we've been able to increase the number of hours of service provided by each one of our individual uh, caregivers by about ten percent since we've put in the new the new system um, that doesn't translate into any any uh you know change in contribution margin, but of course it's very important to our caregivers from the perspective of their efficiency, their income, and of course from a retention perspective, that was that was a pretty important dynamic for us.
7: Okay. Um, and then I'm just wondering like with the, with the bounce back in, in volume too, like do, do you have any sense of whether like some of this might not disappear in a way and I get that there's more than you know like more than you can service right now? But I'm just wondering if there's been like maybe a consumer preference shift just because people don't necessarily, you know, people haven't had to be or had people have not wanted to necessarily be going out to the doctor's office, going out to a, you know, rehab facility or whatever. And so, you know, if given the choice to have those services brought to you, they're happily taking that right now, but maybe that shifts back the other way as things start to normalize no
2: that that's not really a driver of 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 home care services uh home care is more driven by uh, uh, the age demographic by the prevalence of chronic disease in the community and by hospital activity and hospital discharges so there's very little individual preference in terms of driving uh, volumes of, of Of home care that uh, of the the sort that we provide I think that might be a little bit different uh, in in the private pay market but but in terms of the services that we provide preference really isn't a driver of this
7: got it okay Um, just for the long-term care redevelopment projects you're quoting like uh, redevelopment yields of like you know around 8% on the projects you've got on the go um, that's the gross yield on that facility does it does that yield account for the shuttering of the facility that it's that it's replacing
3: no that's that's the new project I mean there, so, the, the, these redevelopment projects are are uh, you know there's a, a both both of the ones that are there are brand new greenfield constructions they'll be quite a, a, a quick cut over um, in, in the uh, from the old home to the new home and then that's based and then the outlook is based on a kind of a the equivalent of a stabilized NOI outlook for for the new home similar to what you we you, we uh, do you know how we've looked at retirement
7: but then I guess my question is is on the redevelopment yield shouldn't you be quoting the incremental NOI over the prior facility that was in the market because of that facility well being- we
3: Yeah, we're not, I mean, it's very hard to do that. Um, You know, we need to look at the new project discreetly because the old project is, some. in in most cases, the homes that we're closing are smaller. So we've got incremental new beds coming in as well as a change in mix between preferred um, as well. So that we're looking at 100% of the costs of building that new home against 100% of what the new stabilized NOI is going to look like on that home. So that's how
7: we measure our, our projects. Okay. Um, but then I guess just like when we're thinking about it, that we, sh- we should remember that like all of those beds are not net new. Correct? Yeah, correct. Um, all right. And then like, I guess like since we are short long-term bed, long-term care beds in, in Ontario, like, is it, are they, are they really going to, sh- like, let these sites go down or will – you know, like, to me, I, w- I would think, like, maybe one of the things to do is that if you have the demand, you would sit there and say, like, hey, now that you've moved the facility, rebuilt it, like, go and redevelop the old one again to bring it up to standard. Like, is that not an easier way of adding beds over time? It's a good question, Tal, but, but
2: the fact is that those homes are – so old and so substandard uh, from, you know, even from the perspective of just the number of square feet, gross square feet per resident, they're about half the size of new, new facilities. So there's really no opportunity to even renovate them in a meaningful way. So they will be torn down, there's no question about that. Now, whether we dispose of that property or perhaps redevelop that location you know a brand new net new property well that'll depend on uh, what what kind of volume the government is commissioning at the time that we make that decision so there may be there may be new net new homes that we haven't contemplated in our pipeline that, that that the government wants at that particular time we'll certainly look at that
7: and your your like development costs don't include any disposition proceeds either on some of these sites, on the old sites. Right. Yeah, got it.
6: Right.
7: Okay, Um, and then, you know, now that we're sort of inching our way back towards uh, normalcy, just going back to the retirement business, like this is a capital-intensive business. You guys are, it's kind of a smaller business for you. Is retirement still core to the, you know, the extended care group of businesses long-term? Because you know, it does feel like we might get a little bit, a little bit of consolidation going on in this sector over the next couple of years.
2: Well, Tal, I think that the, just looking at this uh, over the over the last ten years, there was a long lull in long-term care development, uh, really across the country, and we're now in in catch-up mode, uh, trying to. Uh, deal with replacing the aging stock of long-term care and, of course, the the demand for for long-term care is pretty extensive. So we've talked about that quite a bit. So over the last 10 years, we spent time and energy focused on on the private pay side and building building a a small retirement portfolio. I think today now, with with all the activity in long-term care, uh, we're we 're pretty focused on that we 'll have a lot of projects on the go uh on that on you know on on that side of the business i think as long as that continues uh we 'll be very focused you know our development resources and team will be very focused on on building long term care uh and uh, uh, so i think i think our uh, any expansion in retirement will take uh you know take Take second uh, priority to to the long term care agenda.
7: But I, I guess, like, let me put the question in a different way: Is like, is retirement is essential to the functioning of extended care as a unit of business? Well, I think it's
2: a, I think it's a, it's a key part of our portfolio. Remember that that a lot of home care services are provided in retirement settings. So I think there's there's. Uh, an advantage of the experience of uh, running retirement homes uh... because of the 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 potential synergies there uh... so uh... we we see it as a very valued part of our our business mix
7: okay and then just lastly on uh... extended care assist and sgp just with with all of the you know sort of volatility in long-term care right now should we expect like that sort of segment to continue to kind of like, should we expect a little bit more volatility on that side going forward? Cause I just noticed like in your presentation, you said like the EA beds were down a bit and then SGP client, clients were, you know, continue to sort of grow nicely. Like just wondering how we should think about that going forward. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I
3: don't think there's going to be uh, much volatility. I mean, again, it's, it's, relatively smaller segment so you know smaller changes do do look more volatile there but I think the SGP growth will continue Um, um, you know we as I said we've added there's the reason we've added business development resources there is because we do think there is an opportunity there Um, so we do expect that to continue there's a lot lot of demand uh, for our services and and products that we that we uh, we we provide through through SGP assist has been uh, I'd say has been in a bit of a lull. Certainly, with COVID, not a lot of people making management changes and decisions in their portfolios. Uh, I do think there is some opportunity in that segment as we as we get out of COVID, where perhaps smaller, mid-size operators, um, after they've they've kind of come through COVID, may reassess their their desire to continue to manage uh, their real estate. And so, I do think there is an opportunity. Also, think there is an opportunity. Uh, to to manage retirement as well, potentially. So another sort of tie into Michael's earlier comments about where retirement fits into our portfolio. Um, So I don't think there'll be as much volatility there, um, uh, really. I think that, you know, I I, I wouldn't read too much into kind of the lumpiness in the last couple of quarters, but I do think there's there's good growth prospects there and those sort of mid-50 margins, which is what we've talked about before, is, is really how to think about that business.
7: Okay, that's great. Thanks very much, everybody.
0: Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. The next question is from Yash Sankpal with Laurentian Bank. Please go ahead.
8: Uh, Good afternoon. Hi, Yash. So you partly answered this question, but I want to try it one more time uh would you be able to quantify the cost you are incurring at each facility because of the extra safety measures you are taking are they five percent higher 10 percent higher than what you uh, what the typical operating cost was before the pandemic
3: yeah yeah i mean it's It's been very volatile, Yash, as you can appreciate, right? Um, So, um, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, even just this quarter, our costs are down $15 million from Q1. It really is is quite hard to talk about anything being normal at this point. We've had such volatility. Um, You know, I think if you think ahead to the cost structure uh, and we're, you know, the sector is waiting for example for the four hours of care and that to begin, if you start thinking about that, um, that increase, I mean, that represents about, you know, a 25% increase in the, in the care envelopes. Um, so, and if that phases in over two or three years, you know, we think the cost structure, again, funded through flow-through envelopes, mind you, but the cost structure is gonna change on the care side, you know, eight to 10% a year over the next three years. Um, We're at a point right now where we're maintaining enhanced staffing levels for COVID and for prevention and the protocol testing, et cetera. Um, You know, we're running our staffing at about 110% of our normal level. We think that dovetails nicely to what could be the first wave of moving to four hours of care. So, um, you know, trying to quote a specific number or what our run rate's gonna be is, is very hard, but we are, we are conscious of the fact that, you know, we're waiting for the four hours of care and we're, we're hoping that, it, you know, some of the elevated costs we're incurring today around COVID actually sort of naturally dovetail into the first step of moving to four hours of care. And that would be, as I said, about a 25% increase in the nursing and program envelopes um, uh, today. Okay. Yeah, I
8: think
2: just if I can, yeah, if I can just add something to what David said. I just want to reiterate something he said earlier, which which is important. Our our total COVID extra costs in 2020 were fully funded in Ontario. So, uh, despite some of the timing differences, uh, indications are that that most of our COVID costs, if not all, are likely to continue to be fully funded. So I think that's that's the other sort of element here to 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 take into account. And as David said, uh, we'll be moving into a different era of higher staffing because of the government's four hours of care funding announcement. And so, can't be sure, but there's reasonable expectation that we will seamlessly roll into that new funding program uh, to uh, be able to absorb the additional staff, we see those extra staff as being a head start on the challenge of staffing up to meet, meeting that, that new requirement. So uh, subject to timing differences uh, uh, and, you know, subject to learning what the implementation rules are, which, which haven't been shared yet. We do think that these costs will be fully funded. Okay. Um, all right. Um,
8: just want to uh, think about these new facilities that you're uh, building and, you know, development fields that you're talking about. Um, based on your knowledge of appraisals so by either mortgage lenders or private transactions, where do you think these newly built facilities trade at this point
3: well I think I mean what we see in the market it hasn't been a lot of activity right in in terms of trades and in long-term care mm-hmm. um, there's been some smaller trades with older homes that trade more on a per bed basis versus a cap factor I think most of the industry guidance out there now from You know the Cushman's and CBREs that are the sort of leaders that follow the segment would have you know um, long-term care A-class type new beds in the in the depending on the market in the seven seven and a quarter. Um, Although you know uh, it's pretty robust out there. I mean, but you know if the market was tested with some other A-bed homes, perhaps you're dropping in certain markets. Maybe on long-term care could even be a bit tighter. But probably in the seven seven and a quarter is what we. What the, those that track it and, and you know the industry um, sort of view of it is, um, but again, hasn't been tested. There hasn't been much trading going on at the moment, but that's the best sort of view of the market we have. Okay, that's good. Um,
8: and uh, these long-term care, you uh, know, ward beds. Do you think the government would uh, ever allow more than two residents per room now?
2: going forward I don't I don't I don't think so Um, it's it's hard to predict Yash, but I don't think so Uh, uh, I think we've we've seen the the impact of those rooms on uh, making it very difficult to manage outbreaks of COVID-19 or really any other types of outbreaks so uh, you know I don't I don't expect that to be uh, uh, to be something that uh, that we revert back. Um, that said, uh, I mean, be aware that for extended care, uh, that this, this is a very small number of beds. Right across across our our uh, our whole operation, it's less than three hundred beds.
8: Okay. And uh, if if let's say that turns out to be true what would be your effective occupancy rate when your buildings are full like will it be 95 percent 93 percent like
3: yeah yeah actually i think um we would expect i mean again we don't know but and this is you know the occupancy we we do expect or anticipate that the three and four bed ward rooms would be removed from the calculation. So, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't suspect they'll, they'll keep measuring us against that 97% target requirement for, for, for occupancy and still include the three and four beds in the denominator. So, so, that's our anticipation that when they do clarify how things will be measured post-August, um, we expect those to be excluded. So, so they'll, they'll, they'll almost go into abeyance and, and, and sort of come out of all the calculations and statistics, but we don't know that for sure, but that's what we expect will happen.
8: Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. Right.
0: This concludes the question and answer session. I'd like to turn the conference back over to Jillian Fountain for any closing remarks.
1: Thank you, operator. That concludes our call for today. This presentation is available on our website as are the call-in numbers for an archived recording. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Please don't hesitate to give us a call if you have any further questions. Goodbye.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant
9: day. You know how to book flights and hotels.